Um, coming up next, we have Ariel Zelishnikov Johnson. How close was I with the name? Yeah, not. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, Ariel is a neuro neuroscience PhD student at the Flory Institute of Neuroscience and Mental Health, with a keen interest in science, science communication, science history, and science fiction. In his spare time, he tutors, reads books, and spends too much time on the internet, and eats a moderate amount of chocolate. It's very restrained. <laughs> he one day inspires to be a successful enough at experimental science to never have to run experiments again. Um, Michael Faraday had extremely strong opinions on the proper delivery of a lecture. Science was obviously the best topic. One should not rush, but be slow and deliberate. In terms of keeping the interest of the audience, Faraday was sure that, though to all true philosophers, science and nature will have charms innumerable in every dress, yet I am sorry to say that the generality of mankind cannot accompany us one short hour unless the path is strewn with flowers. If Faraday were here in the audience this evening, he would be an extremely critical listener. So I will try to add enough flowers to keep him and you entertained. Faraday was born in 1791 to a poor family in suburban London. His formal education ended at the age of 14 when he was apprenticed as a bookbinder and seller. After a day of gluing pages together and selling books, he would read any scientific works around the shop that he could get his hands on. It was these books that set him on the path to becoming a natural philosopher, what today we would call a scientist. And Faraday himself wrote that as a young boy, I was a lively, imaginative person and could believe in the Arabian Nights as easily as the encyclopedia. Yet when I questioned the books by such little experiments as I could find means to perform, and I found them true to the facts as I could understand them. I felt that I had got hold of an anchor in chemical knowledge and clung fast to it. The knowledge that he accumulated during his seven years apprenticeship was rewarded when his employer arranged for him to be given tickets to hear a series of lectures by Sir Humphrey Davy, a distinguished chemist who had discovered a bunch of new elements at the time. With an obsession and precision that would characterize his entire career, Faraday took 300 pages worth of exhaustive notes on these lectures and sent them to Sir Davy, along with a request to be taken on as his research assistant. Sir Davy was impressed, and despite advising Faraday that science is a harsh mistress and anyone with sane financial instincts would continue on as a bookbinder, soon after hired him. This new lifestyle suited Faraday well, and he readily dedicated himself to it. So much so, in fact, that he would almost invariably decline invitations to social gatherings, with a typical reply to such invites being, I feel the best answer I can make to your compliments is to stay at home and work hard. <laughs> Essentially, Faraday was a huge, unashamed, antisocial nerd. <laughs> To be fair though, this doesn't mean he never made time for fun. On one occasion, in order to trap gases for chemical experiments, Faraday developed a technical grade bubble blower. In one letter to a friend, he exclaimed, 
I wish I could come tomorrow night, that we might blow soap bubbles against each other again. What a beautiful and wonderful thing a soap bubble is. <laughs> Not long into his new job, Faraday was given the opportunity to travel on a grand tour of Europe with his employer, Sir Davy, and Sir Davy's wife, Lady Davy. Having previously never traveled more than a few miles from London, this formative journey was comprehensive enough to serve as a partial substitute for Faraday's lack of university education. He paid for this by being forced to serve as the valet of Lady Davy, and thus waiting upon a proud and petty woman who would not let him forget that he was born of common blood. Despite this, he made good use of his travels. In Italy, he saw glowworms for the first time, and in a series of fascinating and macabre dissections, perhaps involving the 19th century equivalent of a blender, <laughs> determined the chemical nature of their bioluminescence. Later, he was witness to the combustion of a diamond placed between immense magnifying lenses, the ashes of which proved that the glittering rock was indeed just made of base carbon. He made friends and contacts throughout the continent, many of whom he would continue to communicate with throughout his entire career. Indeed, Faraday kept up a massive correspondence with companions and colleagues, writing about both the personal and the scientific. He would frequently rhapsodize about his love of natural philosophy, saying of scientific questions that to leave them untouched, hanging as dead weights upon our thoughts, or to respect and preserve their existence whilst they interfere with the truth of physical action is to rest content with darkness and to worship an idol. Thus, almost as strong of his love of science was his hatred of pseudoscience. And in particular, the darkness resting, idol-worshipping, anti-vaxxer equivalents of the 19th century was table-turning, a form of seance that pretty much involved a Ouija board strapped to a table that could rotate. Faraday himself and his ire at this popular superstition was so great that he wrote angry news letters to the newspaper and conducted public experiments on table-turning equipment. Surprisingly, his efforts in this did contribute in the fad going out of fashion relatively quickly. <laughs> Luckily for us, Faraday's proclivity for writing was maintained while at the lab bench, as he kept a meticulous and real-time set of lab books in an unbroken series throughout his career. His initial work was mainly in chemistry, particularly in using electrical, cur sorry, electrical currents applied to solutions to discover and synthesize new chemicals, a process called electrolysis. From an early stage, though, he was interested in electricity and magnetism. And after the first works were published by a Danish physicist in 1821, showing that the two forces were connected, he set out to investigate these phenomena. After hearing the Danish report, his employer, Sir Davy, soon tried and failed to develop an electric motor based upon these principles. Faraday then set out to surpass his, his mentor. With some difficulty and using a convoluted setup, involving running current through a wire wrapped around a magnet suspended in a pool of mercury, Faraday succeeded in inventing one of the first electric motors in history. In his excitement, Faraday quickly published his work, but failed to acknowledge Sir Davy in the process. 
While this succeeded in establishing him as an eminent natural philosopher, the resulting controversy and politics within the royal institution resulted in Faraday being transferred to doing contract work for several years thereafter, placing a halt on his electromagnetic research. While he hated being unable to pursue his own agenda, his contract work ended up proving useful for the Royal Institution and advantageous to Faraday himself in the long run. His work led to the refinement of steel alloys, great enhancements in the composition and reliability of optical glass for lighthouses, and improvements in the safety of, st st improvements in the safety of coal storage upon steamships. Important, as during the 19th century, Steamships would occasionally spontaneously explode. After several years of this work and the subsequent death of Sir Davy, Faraday was able to return to electro electromagnetism full time. On the 29th of August, 1831, Faraday knew that he was onto something. He even reset the numbering of paragraphs in his lab book on that day, anticipating that he was at the beginning of something new. That day, he took an iron ring and he wrapped two insulated, disconnected copper wires around opposite sides of said ring. Upon applying a current to one wire, he detected a current in the other, despite the lack of a connection between the two insulated copper wires. The changing current in the first wire had elicited a changing magnetic field within the iron ring which in turn had induced an electric current in the second wire. And in doing so, he had developed the first primitive transformer and discovered electromagnetic induction. The value of this discovery, among, along with the invention of the electric motor, literally cannot be overstated in the development of electrical engineering technology. Everything from your lights to your phone to the whole power grid of a city is built upon this work. And in fact, several years later, Faraday also made another momentous discovery. He found that merely spinning a magnet inside of a wire was able to induce an electric current. And in his journal wrote, today produced the, ele sorry, today produced the electric spark from a magnet directly. In doing so, Faraday had invented the first dynamo, which is the basis of electricity production inside power plants today. Until this discovery, electricity could only be generated through expensive chemical means, and so thus, once again, we have Faraday to thank for cheap and readily available electricity. In case you are ever feeling satisfied with your achievements, <laughs> keep in mind that at the end of his career, along with these discoveries, Faraday had also discovered magneto-optical rotation, semiconductivity, the laws of electrolysis, he had popularized much of the chemistry jargon still in use today, such as electrolytes and ion, and he had done all of this with no secondary education and no mathematics beyond basic algebra. In his older years, Faraday's memory began to fade, making scientific work more and more difficult. He reported this decline with characteristic good humor, writing to his friends that what saddened him the most was his wife's frustration with his increasingly unruly hair. <laughs> he continued to work on electromagnetism, fruitlessly attempting to find a connection between it and gravity, still ongoing work for modern physicists. 
The last entry in his lab book concerns an experiment on whether light emitted from heated salts would change its polarization if placed within a magnetic field. Although Faraday himself saw no effect, the Dutch physicist Zeeman won a Nobel Prize for repeating the same experiment but by using a spectroscope 30 years later. Faraday eventually retired from the Royal Institution and spent his remaining time as an advocate for scientific education and as an elder and deacon in the Sandemanian church of which he was a part. When he finally died at the age of 75 years, it was after a lifetime of personally advancing the world from its steampunk past to its cyberpunk future. His efforts can be summarized in a lab journal entry written shortly after he discovered electromagnetic induction. All this is a dream. Still, examine it by a few experiments. Nothing is too wonderful to be true if it be consistent with the laws of nature. And in such things as these, experiment is the best test of such consistency. Thank you.